Hebrews 1. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. Hebrews 1, we're going to read the first three verses together, and we'll see how far we get. The Bible says there, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past uh, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the works, uh, a world's rather, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, if you love the word of God, you're already getting giddy thinking about what, uh, what is in, inside of these verses. Let's pray. Lord, bless the message tonight. Uh, help it to um, make sense. And then, Lord, help it to move us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit down. You can be seated. Book of Hebrews. Well, we covered it a couple of months ago in sort of a snapshot way. I think we took two or three weeks on it. But what is the premise of the book of Hebrews? The premise of the book of Hebrews is to tell Jewish Christians that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better than any part of their Judaism religion. The title tonight of the Bible study is Jesus is Better Than the Prophets. Jesus is Better Than the Prophets. And so he starts in and he really lays it out, lays a case out to show that, yes, I know you love your prophets. You remember when Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees, how that they kept going back to Moses and the law? You remember that? They loved Moses. They loved Moses. And Moses was like their prophet. Well, he's going to lay out the case here that, yeah, Moses is great, but Jesus is way better. And Samuel was wonderful, but doesn't, uh, can't, can't be in the same league with Jesus. Can't even come close. And so let's jump in here tonight. Notice number one, the methods of communication. The methods of communication. Look at chapter one in verse number one again. Alright, it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners. Let me just say this here real quick. There are a lot of people who complain about the King James Bible. And they say, I like my NIV or my NASV or whatever it is, my ESV, because it's just easier to read. Um, and they'll point to a verse like Hebrews 1.1 that uses a word like sundry. And they'll say, I have, who uses the word sundry? Anybody here today use the word sundry in their conversation? How about the last month? About the last year? Mike, maybe. Mike, you use that word? Uh, no, it, that was a word that they used in the old country stores. Sure. So they had yeah. This means a whole different kind of goods. Sure, sure, sure. But it's not a word you hear very often. So folks who are, you know, anti-King James and pro everything else, or they just say, hey, I want something else to go along with it uh, to complement it. Here's what I would say to you. Do you want do you want to do you want a watered down version of the Bible that is filled with errors just so it's easier for you to understand? Or maybe you need to get a Bible dictionary out with your Bible and look up the words you don't know and be smarter for it. Do you want to bring the standard down to the man or do you want to bring the man up to the standard? And I would rather bring the man up to the standard. But the methods uh, of communication, uh, what were they? Well, in the, in the Old Testament, God communicated with them different 
than they did now. By the way, verse 1. Uh, let, me, let me just rephrase verse 1, maybe how we would say it. God, who at uh, various times and in different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. What does that mean? That means that God used all sorts of different ways, but they all funneled through His prophets to communicate to His people in the Old Testament. Uh, there are folks who say, I don't believe in dispensations. What is a dispensation? A dispensation is an age. It's an era. It's a period of time where God dealt with folks in a different way than He did at other times. And there are people who say, well, I don't believe in dispensations. I believe God has dealt with humanity the same way forever. And if you hold that view, you've got a lot of explaining with Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, where it says that, hey, in the old times, uh, the fathers were communicated to by the prophets. That isn't the case now. Now, uh, the uh, form of communication is through the Son. So things have changed. Things are different. Uh, the methods of communication. Now, this isn't going to be on the screen, but I have this in my notes here. There were three different ordained leaders in the Old Testament. Three different ordained leaders in the Old Testament. Let's test your Bible knowledge tonight. Someone raise your hand and give me one of the three. Three different types of leaders in the Old Testament. Dave? King? Prophets? One more. Okay. Almost. Priests. Kings, prophets, and priests. Those are the three groups God used or God had ordained or were used to, to um, uh, move forward uh, the, the faith, if you will. Um, interesting enough, I thought, really thought this through as I put this together. Interesting enough, nobody ever held at the same time the title of both prophet and high priest, or high priest and king, or king and prophet. Now, there were seasons of times where somebody would maybe do both for a little bit, but nobody held those titles all exclusively. The one that came the closest was the prophet Samuel. Samuel was from a priestly background, but he was not ever a high priest. All right? Some would argue he was adopted by Eli, and that would have made him the son of a high priest. But you don't see him near the, the Ark of the Covenant when it was recovered and, and moved to Shiloh. And so uh, he would have been a prophet. He would have done some priestly things, and he was Israel's last judge, which wasn't quite a king. But boy, he came close. He touched all three on more of a minor level. But for the most part, if you think through things, uh, God had folks either be a prophet or a priest or a king, but usually those didn't mingle. God used the prophet to be the one that communicated. Notice letter A, Old Testament, God's prophets. God's prophets. So what did a prophet do? What did a prophet do? They had a very specific set of instructions that God had them chosen to do. Notice underneath uh, God's prophets, notice they relayed God's message. They relayed God's message. Again, look back at verse number one. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners and in different times, various times and in various ways, spake, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So it was their job to take God's message and relay that message. 
And so they did that. Now, some examples of, of prophets that relayed God's message, and this by no means is a complete list. Moses relayed God's message in writing the first five books of the Bible. Okay? Um, Samuel relayed God's message in, in ordaining the first two kings and communicating God's wishes of, 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 of God really not wanting there to be a king. Daniel relayed God's message about the 69 or even the 70 weeks and much, much more. I'm just giving you little snippets here. Jonah uh, didn't want to, but he relayed God's message to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, about God's wrath that was coming. And he did so in the shortest sermon possible. Uh, he didn't want to do it, but he did it. And he was forced to do it, but he did it. And he relayed God's message. So, very clearly, they were to relay God's message. That was their job. And in fact, if they didn't relay God's message properly, boy, they were to be discredited and even uh, uh, disowned and, in some cases, stoned. Turn over with me to Ezekiel chapter number 13. Ezekiel's in the Old Testament there. One of the reasons why I chose the book of uh, Hebrews for us to go through is because um, when you start getting into like verse 5, I think verse 5 and forward, the Old Testament's referenced like every other verse. And that might be a slight exaggeration, but there is a lot of Old Testament references in the book. And I found that to be a fascinating study. So we're jumping in there. Look at Ezekiel chapter 13 uh, and verse number 1. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say that unto them uh, that prophecy uh, that prophecy out of their uh, that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, uh, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel, to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Look down to verse number 8. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you, saith the Lord God. So, if you were called to be a prophet, you had a message to relay, and boy, you better relay that message accurately. How many of you understand that in communication, it's not just what you say, it's also the emphasis of how it's said, and it's the way it's said. All of those things are important, and so they had a very, very, very important job to do. What did an Old Testament prophet do? Again, we're in Hebrews chapter 1. We're slow walking through the book, deep diving, if you will, verse by verse. What else did an Old Testament prophet do? Well, they rebuked God's people. They rebuked God's people. There it is. Um... We could take the time to study Amos and Habakkuk and Zephaniah, but they laid out some strong rebukes. And they weren't the only ones, but they laid out some strong rebukes of God's people and said, hey, you're not doing right. God is going to rain down judgment all over you. You're going to be carried away by the Assyrians or by the Babylonians, the Chaldeans or Babylonians, and you're going to be severely punished because you aren't following God. Now, I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. God does not call anybody in 2019 to act like an Old Testament prophet. He doesn't. Um, There is a place and a time for a pastor or a preacher to rebuke. But it should always be done, followed up, coupled with a spirit of love and restoration. 
Even the Old Testament prophets would lay out a rebuke and then give hope at the end. You see it over and over and over again. Um, but there is not just supposed to be the, hey, you know what, uh, uh, hellfire and brimstone. While there's room for hellfire and brimstone, it'll all be done in a spirit of love. But they rebuked God's people. And you see that happen over and over again. What else did the Old Testament prophets do? Well, they represented holy living. They represented holy living. They were supposed to live above the fray. I've said this often, um, uh, not as a pastor, but I've said this often as a school teacher, Bible school teacher. I'm really glad God called me to be a New Testament pastor and not an Old Testament prophet. Do you know what Old Testament prophets had to do? Isaiah walked around stark naked for a year. Read it. He did. Walked around stark naked for a year and said, just like I'm walking around with my shame showing, God's going to strip you naked. As a people. Ezekiel had to lay on one side for a whole bunch of days. And God told him, I want you to take your own dung and use that as fuel to cook your food. And he said, does it really have to be human dung? And God said, okay, all right, we'll compromise. You can use animal dung instead. Then he had to roll over and sleep on his other side for X amount of days. Showing how God had turned his back. Well, what were these men supposed to be doing? They were supposed to be representing holy living. While they were preaching a sermon of rebuke, the stark contrast was their life. Was their life. You may remember that with Isaiah, uh, he had the vision where he was caught into heaven and he said, Here am I, Lord, send me. What was he signing up for? He was signing up for holy living. You may remember Jeremiah, uh, 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 who, who, who gave his entire life to being abused and beaten toward the end of Judah's uh, um, uh, rule, thrown down, and he, he talks about sinking in the miry pit. You may remember that. And then uh, he's pulled out, and he's carried away in a Babylon captive, and Nebuchadnezzar lets him go, and he goes back to Jerusalem, and he watches the city burn. And he watches the people struggle. That's where you get the book of Lamentations. Uh, so Jeremiah was one living holy in the midst of unholiness, showing them uh, what, uh, what godliness was. How about Hosea? Hosea, God said to Hosea, go marry a prostitute. What? I'll slip this in here real quick. I was talking about this a little bit with my uh, children today. And Matthew said, well, at least I hope she was good looking. And I didn't tell him this, but from what I hear, I've had some police officer friends who've had to work inner cities and things, and they have told me, again, I have no experience, glory hallelujah, but what I hear, most women in that profession are not very attractive. So I don't know that um, uh, Hosea married a pretty girl or not, but he married a prostitute, and he had to show what it was like to have your heart broken, and then let her fall, Gomer fall into slavery, and then go back and buy her back. It's a beautiful story about God's restoration of Israel. But what was Hosea doing? He was representing holy living. He was representing holy living. Now, you think through uh, what the prophets did. They communicated to the people. They relayed God's message. They rebuked God's people. They represented holy living. And when they relayed God's message, they did it all kinds of different ways. Sometimes they stood up and say, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes they said, hey, this is coming down the pipeline in the future, both good and bad. Sometimes they would go to someone and they would interpret a dream. 
Um, I think of um, Isaiah and Nathan the prophet who went and, and told the king some bad news. Remember Nathan sticking his, so every preacher says, who knows if it's true or not, long, bony, crooked finger in David's face and saying, Thou art the man! How about uh, Isaiah who walked in the palace and told Hezekiah, Hey, get your house in order, you're going to die. Right? So these prophets, their job was to do all that, and that's how God communicated to people. He didn't speak to them directly or audibly. Uh, he spoke to his prophets, and the prophets turned around and spoke to them. Notice letter B there, and we'll wrap it up here. Notice letter B, uh, New Testament, God's Son. New Testament, God's Son. So the method of communication. How did God communicate uh, with his people? Well, in the Old Testament, he used prophets. In the New Testament, he uses uh, his son. Look back at chapter 1 and look at Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse number 2. It says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also uh, he made the worlds. We'll, we'll get into verse 3 next week, but let's, let's just look at verse 2 for a minute. God has chosen in these last days to, to communicate with us through his son. And notice there, the Bible says that God's Son, we know this to be Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, God's Son was the one that created the worlds. He created the worlds. And after He created the worlds, He lost the worlds to sin, but now has become heir or rightful inheritor of these worlds. Because why? Well, we know, we'll get into it next week, but because of His redemptive work. Because He has purged, verse 3 uses the word purged, because He has purged us from our sin, He has bought us back and bought back the right to one day take control of the world from Satan in His timing when He's ready. Who has control of planet Earth from a spiritual standpoint? Who has control of planet Earth right now? Satan does. Why does Satan have control? Well, uh, there's more than one answer to the question, but I'll share this answer. Satan has control because God lets him have control. That's really what it comes down to. And God can take over control anytime he wants. He's already told us in his word the plan, and he'll hold to that. But one day, God's going to take it away from Satan, and he's going to give it to Jesus. And Jesus uh, is heir, and one day will be owner and possessor of that. That's a fun study when you get into Revelation chapter number 5 and you see him taking the title deed to earth and breaking open the seals. And so um, uh, that's a fun study. So uh, New Testament, God's Son, I don't have any subpoints there. The reason being is when we get into point 2 next week and we get into verse 3, oh my goodness, it's really going to come alive and you're going to see what God has to say about his Son and how much better he is than the prophet's. You could live in the Old Testament and have God speak to you through prophets, or you can live in the New Testament and have Jesus speak to you through His Word and through the Holy Spirit who He has sent to administrate for Him. And I've I got to tell you, I'd much rather live in the New Testament than the Old Testament. And so we're blessed to get to do that. But be back next week and we'll explore verse 3 in great depth and then maybe even move on from there. Honestly, we could probably spend the whole time in verse 3 next week. It's going to be really, really good. So, again, the goal with the study is to slow walk, deep dive uh, through the book of Hebrews. And so come and, and bring uh, your scuba gear, your spiritual scuba gear, and get ready to really grow and learn in the Word of God. Well,